welcome to Oblong Desk. We've got the occasional table out of Noakes and I on a very special occasion. It's festooned with cake because it is our first birthday. The podcast's been going here. Happy birthday, us. Yes. Um, happy birthday, It started us. as something to do during uh, the very first lockdown around a year ago. And uh, as you say, we've uh, we've made it through a year. And what a lot of ground we've covered. We have. We started off in 1992. We're we did. now four years down the line. So we've done four years in a year. Um, that's sort of a crowded house song, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and we've done lots of different things as well. We've started off just saying we'll do the Now albums, which is how it all began. But we've wandered into hits and Now dances. We've done a couple of bizarre specials. Ruby Tracks, and, that was a good one, yeah. And the football special as well. And today's another one of those where we've gone a little bit off-piste to celebrate our first birthday. And do you know what? It's been a um, a thing that's that's entered my life Without me ever wanting it to, uh, we're going to look at Neighbours today, the Australian soap, and all of the pop people who've managed to have music careers as a result of appearing on the show. Yeah, and there are more than you probably think, certainly more than I remembered anyway. Um, Now, I started watching, uh, as you probably did as a school uh, kid, probably, um, when I was about 16, I guess it would have been, when it was first kind of becoming popular. Um, And I think I watched it until university days, and then I probably went away from it in the kind of early to mid 90s um and i occasionally kind of flick through it now when i when i've got the telly on uh and lately it seems to be all the old people have come back again so it's almost like going back in time anyway to uh the late 80s i I turned it on the other day and des was on it for goodness sake wow wow there's a blast Mm. and somebody who who mercifully never picked up the microphone because he he doesn't have doesn't have the greatest voice i don't think but there have been a whole stack of artists who've graced our uh, musical ears some with more credibility than others and um, do you know what secretly i wanted to do a kylie special and i thought that was um, that was probably a little bit dull because you know people know kylie too well so i thought how can we expand it out so we're going to look at obviously kylie and everyone else from neighbors during this special and we shall uh, be playing some tracks, looking at their careers overall, picking out our favourites. And the name of the game on this oblong desk occasional table is that we're going to try and pick our ultimate pop neighbour. Will it be Kylie? Will it be someone else? It's hard to say at this point, but we'll give it a go and see what happens. Yes, let's. I know, I know who it's not going to be, but we'll come to that in due course. We're going to start with the Queen of Ramsey Street, though, aren't we? As uh, as previously mentioned. So Kylie has had an amazing pop career. Seven UK number ones, 34 UK top tens, over 50 top 40 hits, 16 weeks at number one as well. A phenomenal career. Started off in 1988 and is still making music and still making, I think, very pleasant music to this very day yeah and we can talk about the different eras of kylie because uh, everyone has their favorite as you say 88 was the beginning uh, i should be so lucky was the first of her number one hits um and i was never a massive fan of that i have to say um i actually preferred the follow-up got to be certain which got to number two i thought that was a, a better pop song um and i think legendarily stock aiken and waterman through i should be so lucky together in about five minutes didn't they so uh, you know the, the the ones later on ought to have been a bit more 
uh, <laughs> well put together and uh, coherent, then I should be so lucky. Um, the first one I, I guess I really took notice of later in 88 was Je ne sais pas pourquoi, because it's a very unusual pop song. It's got that kind of tinkly intro um, and it's a very well-crafted piece of work. I mean, it's no secret that I'm a huge fan of Stuck Aitken and Waterman stuff in general, um, but I think that's the first one where I probably thought, yeah, actually, maybe she has got a career in her after all, because I think that's the first one that she sings really well too, I would say. Yeah, and, and I mean, we can make no bones about it, early period Kylie is very much about Stock Aitken and Waterman's production and the processing on her voice is I would say excessive (laughs) and you only have to hear versions that she does of her early work when she's doing them in concerts as her voice improved and as she had more training and singing practice to hear that the quality of some of that early stuff particularly the versions she does of I Should Be So Lucky, it's a very, very good song and much better than it sounds in its original 1988 form, where it is a bit just one of those Doc Aitken and Waterman churn them out and have a hit, which was the entire point of Kylie. Super famous, super popular, now in front of a microphone. Yeah, and uh, and you're right about those versions of I Should Be So Lucky. I'm pretty sure she's done kind of updated versions of certain as well, hasn't she, I think? Um, probably less so, je ne sais pas, because I don't she think has, that's yeah. done very often. But yeah, um, I didn't like the p- kind of poetry version of I Should Be So Lucky she did, though. You know, and she turned it into a kind of spoken word thing. I, I really didn't care for that at all, to be honest. Didn't see the point. But, but you're right, some of the others are, are pretty good. And uh, so if you move forward a bit from that era, you've got hand on your heart which was uh, another big number one song and i think that is um, a bit of a favorite as well i know that's a, a, a fan favorite um i probably like that one now more than i did then i would say um and then i guess the first one that was different not in a good way necessarily was um tears on my pillow wasn't it in uh, early in 1990 because that was more of a kind of old 50s style ballad and I don't know about you but I know it was a soundtrack song but it never really worked for me that I it was number one hit but I didn't really like it no I wasn't a massive fan of tears on my pillow although I think by that stage we were really getting used to the fact that if Kylie released a song whatever it was it would go top five as a bare minimum and probably to number one or two now the first track's that I really sort of started to think, actually, this is a cut above. Uh, Better the Devil You Know was an absolute corker. And then a little bit later on, Shocked. Mm. Well, we had that, yeah. Interesting rap. Yeah, Jazzy P on the mic. Wolverhampton's own Jazzy P, yes. Um, Yeah, I... um, I, I agree. That was the kind of uh, disco Kylie Mark One, I suppose, wasn't it? Really, as you say, began with "Better the Devil You Know," uh, number two hit in 1990. Then we had "Step Back in Time," didn't we? Or was it the other way around? I always forget which one came first, but they were roughly at the same time. And then, as you say, "Shocked" early in 1991. And my, well, it's difficult to pick a favourite out of all the Kylie tracks because, as you say, there are so many of them that were released as singles. But my favourites also from 1991, and I think we're going hear a bit of that now aren't we and uh, it's this one
Oblong Desk, the occasional table is out for our first birthday and we're looking at Neighbours, the Neighbours from the Soap Neighbours. There's Kylie Minogue's What Do I Have To Do, the most famous pop neighbour, I think it's fair to say. Cracking career with Stock Aitken and Waterman. It started to peter out a little bit and the hits dried up a little and we thought, is this the end? And then she left them, joined Deconstruction, and the first single that she released with them, Confide in Me, as we've discussed on a previous Oblong Desk, is one of my favourite Kylie tracks of all time, and I was totally blown away by the change in direction that she had. Yeah, um, as you say, the hits had dried up a bit towards the end of her time with Stuck Aitken and Waterman. I mean, there was uh, Word Is Out, famously um, got nowhere near the top ten. It was, I think, about number 16 it got to, and was a pretty poor song all round. Then there was her god-awful cover of Celebration, which no one really ever needed in the first place and wasn't particularly convincing. Uh, But yeah, Deconstruction... uh, Kylie was the uh, revival of her career that was needed. Confide in me, as we've discussed before, is not one of my particular favourites. I really, really like the follow-up, Put Yourself in My Place. And then we've also discussed the third single, haven't we, quite recently, so we won't, we won't go back to that. And then, seemingly... Uh, things all went a bit strange again because after that, and I can't remember the circumstances, I think Deconstruction went kaput, didn't they? And and was was she left without yeah, a record yeah. deal or something, I think? And then we had Indie Kylie, didn't we? We did, and that was at the point where I think she was dating or certainly involved with Michael Hutchins yeah. and did a single with Nick Cave as well, Where the Wild oh, Rose Grow. Yes, uh, it's interesting to go back and listen to that. Uh, I think that at that point... That's the first time when you hear Kylie's pure voice come through on a single, really kind of unprocessed. And at that point, you go, hmm, interesting, she can actually sing. Yeah, I mean, I didn't care much for the indie Kylie stuff. I think the best one was uh, Some Kind of Bliss. That was the finest moment from that kind of, um, as you say, wilderness era album. And I think that was the one that was co-written with James Dean Bradfield from Manic Street Preachers, wasn't it? And it had that kind of um, anthemic sound going on in it. And I thought Some Kind of Bliss was a cracking single. The record-buying public disagreed for whatever reason. It was a big flop, like all the ones from that album. And then, yeah, we get to uh, was it the year 2000 wasn't it when uh, when she was a spinning around yeah and a complete reinvention again and this is something that Kylie's career is famous for and in fact something that has stood her in good stead in her more recent career that ability to almost chameleon like judge what the mood is and be slightly ahead of it I think if she'd done that five years earlier, it wouldn't have worked because I think everyone was, um, you know, the era of of now that we're in at the moment, the mid-90s, there's a lot of disco revival, both in samples and covers. And I think people had got fed up of it. If she'd had that disco sound um, around then or at the time she released her indie album, um, it would have flopped, I think. But yeah, taking about three years out and coming back with that, it was just bang on really i mean even steps had a number one with a disco song that year so that just proves that uh, it was absolutely the right time to do it yeah and then there followed another string of big hits and some real real corkers around this time and in the subsequent couple of years i'm thinking things like chocolate and slow and things like that that oh, were really? real yeah. favorites okay. you know i never liked slow i always found that a bit a bit um i don't know 
not quite there somehow. There was something missing with that one. I'll tell you the one I did like. I thought Love at First Sight was excellent. I thought that got lost a bit in the post can't get you out of my head singles because I think people just automatically expected them all to sound roughly the same. And I always thought Love at First Sight was a cut above, actually. And I really liked, I suppose it's a little bit later, but in the 2000s, I Believe in You, I thought was a fantastic single. And I think that, was that the one that was co-written with the Scissor Sisters? Might have been. But yeah, mm. th- th- there was a good run, as you say. Stunning singles. I mean, I- I'm also thinking, uh, I really like Two Hearts. Oh yeah, that's good. And there was something about each of those singles, kind of like with the Robbie stuff, and obviously she did um, she did Kids with Robbie, but that feeling like you've almost heard it somewhere before, but not quite, yes. which is the, the key to pop hits. She was just tweaking things. They, she made that sound her own. She was able to get the best songs from the best songwriters and the best producers, and, and it all comes together. And I think one of my favourite songs that she's ever done, we're going to play a bit of now, um, is Time Bomb. <laughs> It's Oblong Desk's occasional table. We are with the neighbours this time. That is the uh, singers who have starred in the Aussie soap opera. And uh, we're talking about Kylie right now. We've just played Time Bomb. Now, I don't really remember that one, so you'll have to give us the background on that one, what era it came from and so on. Yeah, it's it's one of her, and I think, in fact, probably her last kind of major chart entry most of her stuff since 2012 when this was has either bumbled around the lower reaches of the chart or not even charted at all she's become more of an albums and streaming girl uh, and her audience seems to to not be buying singles in the way it was in spite of the fact she's released i think some very palpable hits since then but this is kind of her last major major song and it's a real thumping disco track it's got contemporary processing on her voice. It just sounds really, really cool. And it's a throwback to the fact that she could still have a really good disco hit when she wanted to. And I think to look back on a career that even at that point was 24 years old. So she, you know, when she started with I Should Be So Lucky and those throwaway poppets, did we really think that you know a quarter of a century at that point and now another nearly 10 years after that she's been having hits you know for a third of a century (laughs) well yeah she has and it's it's amazing yeah it's what half a life well not more than half a lifetime isn't it basically yeah you're right i mean i um I, i you have to you have to respect that even if some of the stuff she's done recently isn't as uh 
decent i would say as uh, that era that we were just talking about i mean they you're right n- none of the older artists in any genre have hit singles anymore it just doesn't happen they've invented a heritage chart for all of the older acts so they can actually get their songs charting somewhere um but in the official chart no they they don't really appear um i mean recently kylie's done a country album which not being a fan of country music didn't do it for me uh her latest album i think it's called disco isn't it from memory and it and it is back to that disco era and uh, i know that uh, real groove has been released as a kind of single as much as anyone releases singles now it's all streaming isn't it but um we've been playing that on uh, switch radio on the radio station i'm on and uh, you know it's all right there's a version with dua lipa that i think is is pretty good um, a remix so yeah she's still bringing out stuff that's that's perfectly good pop and i think that that's probably where her career lies now as almost like a guest artist that people can wheel out uh, if they want to add a bit of glitz and glamour and obviously she's still be touring and there is a massive audience for her and i think she's going to be one of those performers that you know a bit like the rolling stones but a damn sight better looking is still going <laughs> 20 years from now whether you want them to be <coughs> melton john or not yes um <laughs> i think i think you're quite right there <laughs> i mean it, it says a lot that that real groove single i mentioned they could have quite easily flagged it as a dua Lipa and kylie duet which would have probably led to more streams and downloads or whatever but it is kylie with dua Lipa. you know she dua Lipa is the is the big star and yet she's the guest on kylie's uh, remix on that one so um yeah she's still regarded as the boss and so to our second artist and it's very much after the lord mayor show and somebody who was both in neighbors and in pop hanging on to kylie's coattails it is of course the lovely scott robinson jason donovan oh bless him well you see being a stock aitken and waterman fan and uh, the fact that jason's stuff was almost all with stock aitken and waterman i've got a bit of a soft spot for some of his songs clearly he's not the best singer in the world he's the only person we're talking about on this edition that i've seen play live interestingly enough i'm guessing you may have seen kylie i never have yeah i've seen kylie yeah. a couple of times yeah 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 and on both occasions i think one of the finest concerts just in terms of performance that i've ever seen was kylie well but uh, but to jason well in complete contrast to that um jason was playing one of those uh yates's weatherspoons type pubs back in the early 2000s when he was down on his <laughs> luck i know it's sad um and he came on and he did say, he was singing live he wasn't miming uh but he was singing to the backing tracks so he's having quite a bit of help um of about four of his hits all all the big ones basically all the hits you'd expect um and he was enjoying himself and it was it was a good laugh it was around the time when those here and now 80s revival tours started you know so it was a little bit of a kind of um interest was building for kind of heritage acts going out and just having some fun i suppose and it wasn't long before that that he'd been even more down on his luck and busking and stuff um in fact uh, the good lady wife once saw him busking uh in london somewhere so you know he's kind of come full circle really he's had that that mid period of doing uh, not particularly great gigs to a load of pissed up people in pubs essentially um he's had the, the teen stardom or post teen stardom i suppose in his case and uh, and now he's i think he's kind of regarded as you know 
a, a good bloke maybe not the finest singer in the world but you know he takes the mickey out of himself as well so that's um that helps i mean I don't think he had the best start in his pop career, given that he was given one of Rick Astley's cast-offs. That probably wasn't a great beginning. Uh, nothing can divide us. It was sort of always destined that he would have a pop career, mainly because of his relationship uh, with Kylie on the on the soap. There was there was clamour for Scott and Charlene, and obviously, ultimately, they did do a song together. Um, but there was definitely an interest in him as the kind of male half of that surely he's going to go into pop and when he did as you say to have what it was essentially a pete waterman just going that'll do sing that was possibly a a clue as to how pwl thought that career would go i think they were thinking basically let's get as much out of this really rather pathetic singer because it's not a nice sound at all well, it isn't Jason's voice, particularly on those early ones. He doesn't know. Again, over-processed to yeah, help. Yeah, he doesn't sing those early ones particularly well, no. Um, and I think you're right. I think PWL almost certainly had in mind one hit song. The duet with Kylie, obviously, was always going to happen. And that was the number one hit. And then they probably thought, that'll do. And then, astonishingly, they gave him Too Many Broken Hearts, which is a fantastic pop song. And he sings it perfectly fine, I think. And I think it still stands up. I mean, his career, certainly in terms of pop, has surpassed, I think, certainly PWL's expectations. Four number ones, ten top tens, and another six that made the top 40 as well. Nine weeks at the top of the chart. And, you know, it's a perfectly acceptable career for an actor who was singing a few songs. My personal favourite was his Christmas hit, When You Come Back To Me, which, again, just a fantastic piece of pop and testimony to the fact that that Stock and Aitken were writing some really, really incredible stuff at that time. And Pete Wharton was making lots of money <laughs> off it. is When You Come Back To Me by Jason Donovan. He's one of the neighbours that we are reviewing uh, their music careers, anyway, not their acting careers, on this uh, edition of Oblong Desk's Occasional Table. And uh, 89 really was his finest year in chart terms. You had the duet with Kylie, number one at the beginning of the year, the aforementioned Too Many Broken Hearts, Sealed With A Kiss, not as good, but another number one song. Uh, Every Day I Love You More. I always thought that was a cracking pop song. That was number two. And the song we just played was also number two. Um, and uh, it's a brilliant pop song. It's it's not very Christmassy. It does mention presents, um, but it's not, you know, massively festive. And yet you never hear it at Christmas. I don't understand why it doesn't get played more. It's perfectly fine. It's exactly as Christmassy as Stay Another Day is. And that's on all the time. It seems to me like he's just not quite credible enough. He's never had that Rick Astley moment. Yeah, obviously his career started with a Rick Astley cast-off song. You think about how popular Rick is these days and how he's been memes and 
gifts and all this sort of stuff. And he's he's kind of like gone beyond culture now. He's in Fortnite games. You can have your character dancing to Never Gonna Give You Up. That song is iconic and is Rick's. And I don't think Jason... Well, Too Many Broken Hearts is probably as close as he gets, but you're right, it's not in that same league as far as the wider public is concerned. It is for me, uh, and that kind of brings me to the next one, because this next song uh, just made the top ten in 1990. It's been all but forgotten, really. Uh, I think this is a magnificent tune. Okay, it's Jason Donovan singing it, it's never going to sound absolutely top draw for that reason, but... If this was, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an equivalent name from the time, who would be the kind of person in 1990 who'd be having pop songs who would still be respected and on the radio now? Elton John, maybe? I don't know. Uh, Just think of your favourite kind of male artist that was around at the time. Um, And a seal, maybe, or somebody like that. Um, Doesn't matter who, whether they're contemporary or older. If they'd sung Hang On To Your Love, it would probably still be on the radio today. So... See what you think. Yeah, there's Hang On To Your Love. Uh, And I would agree with you, Noakes, that it is a fantastic song. Uh, And I think, do you know what? I I actually think the songs he was given, apart from the first one, generally were better than the ones that Kylie got given. I think he got some cracking stuff to work with. So maybe they had a change of heart. They wanted to give him his rope and, and see if he could hang himself with it. Of course, he eventually got given a coat yes. of many colours and disappeared off to the West End. And um, I mean, that's a big step to take as well. I suppose combining his acting and singing, maybe he was, maybe it was a natural progression, but it's still a big thing to do. And he really nailed Joseph. It was huge. Wasn't yeah, it? I mean, I never saw it. Um, not my kind of thing, really, stage musicals. But uh, yeah, he was very popular in it. And uh, Any Dream Will Do was his last number one hit. Um, a bit of a, an oddity, really, in the 91 charts but uh, it was very popular and um, and that was pretty much it for his chart career he had another single the following year called Mission of Love which died a death but actually check it out it's again a perfectly serviceable pop song got to about number 22 or something I think as I recall um, and then pretty much disappeared didn't he um, until recently when he's turned up on a few reality TV shows I know he did an album of 80s covers but that kind of thing I just avoid like the plague to be honest yeah, yeah. Uh, Strictly and The Jungle. And the nice thing about him, I think, is he's not going on there, it seems, with a thing to plug or a career to revive. He genuinely seems to just turn up now and do things for the fun of it. So, uh, yeah, fair play to yeah. him. Yeah, overall. And, and, uh, and his daughter's in Neighbours now, I think. I was uh, reading somewhere. Is that right? That is correct, yes. Continuing so, the family tradition. Who knows? Maybe on an oblong desk 10th anniversary special we'll be looking back at her career much briefer career but i think one that shone very brightly uh, was craig mclaughlin who was the dungaree wearing mechanic henry ramsey 
uh, and appeared on the soap in the late 80s and early 90s. But his pop career basically was two hits, wasn't it? Well, three hits if we're being generous, but uh, there's certainly only one that everybody remembers. So uh, why don't we play a bit of that? Desk's occasional table first birthday special. We're looking at the neighbours, and uh, certainly one of my favourite neighbours characters was Henry. He, he brought a bit of life and joy to things that uh, that was a much needed welcome boost. His buffoonery. Uh, there's Mona, his massive number two hit, and really that's the only one that anyone really remembers. There was a follow up. Uh, Amanda, which was uh, top 30, I think. Uh, Top 20, I think. It just made the top 20, I think. It was in the charts at the same time as Mona. That's how popular he was at the time. And that was written about his then-girlfriend, and I've forgotten her name, the one who played Bronwyn. Uh, Amanda was her middle name. That's that's who that song was written about. Right, right. Exciting stuff then. Uh, And that that was the, uh, the nice thing, was he, with his band... Check one, two. <laughs> they were writing stuff that was theirs, which is a first for our um, for our neighbours, a person writing their own songs or at least being involved in the writing of. Yeah, well, Mona was a cover, wasn't it? But the rest were, I, as far as I know, were the next couple were originals, definitely. Yeah, and, and an attempt at playing instruments as well. Yes. It's like we've got... I mean, I know Jason famously didn't play his guitar <laughs> on that hit single where it wasn't plugged in <laughs> and complaints were made. <laughs> Actually, this is a, a, a song person who's done some acting as well, more of an all-rounder and, and, and slightly, therefore, I think, more credible. Mona is a really, really good song and they do it very well. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's never going to be one of my favourites from 1990, but uh, it's perfectly all right. Amanda's a little bit dull. Uh, There was another minor hit, One Reason Why. And then uh, we get to his final sizeable hit, again, top 20, um, which is a version of You're the One That I Want. And he was in Greece at the time, and that was out, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right, uh, with Debbie Gibson. Yes, indeed. And you're never going to find me complaining about, uh, about Debbie Gibson being in things. Mm. Uh, yes. She's a very nice lady. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about her because she's not Australian and she was never in Neighbours. Uh, we are instead just going to say, well done, Craig. Well done for being Henry. Well done. <laughs> Good all round solid performance. Um, and then we're going to move on to, well, certainly someone who's endured in Neighbours. I think he's Neighbours' longest serving character, he's, isn't he? Yes. Stephen he's, Dennis. He's still there. Mr. Paul Robinson. Uh, the the owner and evil Doctor Evil uh, of Lassiter's is Lassiter still there? Oh, that, probably. I thought, I thought that burnt down at one oh, point. Oh, it's probably burnt down, been blown up, and it's probably still there. I expect. Yes. Uh, anyway, he was um, the villain of the piece, 
forever doing nasty scheming work and i think still to this day although he's he's gone a little grayer now hasn't he yeah i think so but uh, his pop career was very very short-lived indeed wasn't it are we going to uh, hear a bit of his magnum opus we would be absolutely criminal not to play this It's Oblong Desk's Occasional Table, John and I are reviewing the musical careers of the stars of Neighbours past and in the case of uh, the man you just heard, present, Stefan Dennis and Donna McFeel Good. Um, don't it make you feel good to you and me just in case you're wondering what that extraordinary noise was Um, listen I know it's nonsense the video with him strutting around in a leather jacket trying to look like a dead hard man is one of the most nonsensical things the world's ever seen but you know what I don't care I've always loved this song and I still do it's ridiculously silly it's kind of like he's the Australian Hoff isn't it (laughs) yes without the standing on the Berlin Wall and helping it be broken up type way yes i think that the the entirety of communism would have collapsed an awful lot quicker had it been stefan dennis on the berlin wall yes indeed because you know i mean michael knight was a force for good and stefan dennis would have just he'd have torn that wall down himself possibly (laughs) uh, as as part of an insurance scam or something uh yes um it it is a a mighty over-the-top ridiculous piece of pop uh, I love it a bit still just because it is so silly and his follow-up this love affair proved once and for all that he should have been a one-hit wonder yeah. there should there was no need for anything else after <laughs> yes. this. that got to number 67 yeah a whole 51 places lower than uh, don't it make you feel good got to yeah um you're right it goes back to that old uh, rule of the uh, the klf again in their manual uh only ever have one hit if you're going to have another hit release it under a different name or something um yes uh i do own a copy of My Love Affair on uh, 7 Inch, or This Love Affair, I should say. Can't even get the title right. That's how memorable it is. And it is disappointingly dull. It it has nothing memorable going on in it at all. Uh, Everything that his debut hit wasn't, unfortunately. So I wouldn't bother checking that one out if I were you. Don't spoil the memory of uh, a fantastic piece of music. There is a link between uh, the mighty Stefan Dennis and our next act, Galen Gillian who he was he was briefly involved with one of uh, uh, as they played Caroline and Christine Alessi I can't remember which one he was going out with I think it was the no, slightly uglier twin wasn't it uh well I don't think either of them were that attractive personally there were many other more attractive people in neighbours some of whom we'll be talking about in this edition but uh, uh, uh yeah I, I can't remember either does it matter um I I don't think it does really <laughs> no no, I mean, they were fairly bland characters whose only thing seemed to be that they were twins. Yeah. Uh, but they never even really played with that. They never they never did, as far as I can remember, any storyline in which their identities were mistaken, which um, is surely, in the they, world of soap opera, an absolute given. Are you sure? I thought they did once when they were not either of them dating Paul Robinson when they were trying to trick someone else at a party or something. 
not a major storyline but i think oh i think they may have maybe. done they, they must have done this is neighbors for goodness sake the writers wouldn't have resisted a chance to do something that obvious um it, this this is a show where we had bouncer the dog having a dream for about 10 minutes so i'm pretty sure they would have covered that ground anyhow um just in case you think this is a bad dream wait until you hear as uh, as they were announced do you remember the advert at the time uh i think you may do um about uh, with, with gail and gillian in do you remember that fluff did the voiceover it was the most extraordinary I thing do. They, yes. they were introduced as pop duo gail and gillian um i can't do fluff's voice very well but that that's the kind of you know gravitas he gave the unnecessary gravitas he gave them uh they, they were never a pop duo they, they never had any hits listener they never had a top 40 hit um and i think it was an advert for head and shoulders or something like that um so yeah they must have had a brilliant agent i mean an advert for a major product they were in neighbors even though they weren't i don't think particularly great at acting they were certainly terrible at singing yet they managed to squeeze three singles out Uh, i i think this is testimony to the fact that if you're born as a twin you should milk it for all it's worth and you'll probably get further with your sister than without Mm. three hits Uh, I've got two of them written down here. Mad If You Don't, which got to number 75, and Wanna Be Your Lover, which was a number 62 smash. And they had another one which didn't even make the top 75. No, it didn't. So um, in 1991, uh, PWL, them again, um, decided to um, try and make a pop hit for them. And they they were billed as the twins on that one, rather than Gail and Gillian. And All Mixed Up was what it was called. You can see what they did there. Um, got to number 77 and if you want oh. to if yeah if you want to hear something that you know if they'd given it to Kylie probably wouldn't be a brilliant exercise because it's not their finest piece of work and if you want to hear something that would be at least serviceable in someone else's hands sung absolutely appallingly badly then i suggest you go and check that out on youtube or something we're not going to play it because it's utterly terrible all three are pretty bad the last one is probably the least bad of the three yeah if we were handing out a neil warnock award and um It'd have to be an Australian Neil version of Neil Warnock, so somebody like Mark Bosnich or something. Uh, then it would definitely go to Galen Gillian amongst this set of pop stars because the career seems to be nothing to do with pop and everything to do with being twins. Because they, as they, like you say, weren't great actors, not particularly exciting characters, and utterly appalling singers. Uh, and seemed when they appeared on because they did the inevitable Saturday morning TV rounds, appeared to be clueless as to why they yeah, were Yeah, they did. And um, if you really want to check out the best example of that, the uh, the third single that we mentioned, uh, Wanna Be Your Lover, their number 62 smash, um, there is a clip of that available uh, with them performing it on Pebble Mill at One, introduced by Alan Titchmarsh, and it doesn't get more tragic than that all round. <laughs> Well, happy birthday to us, and aren't we having fun? Would you celebrate with a bit of Kylie or Jason? Maybe Steph and Dennis would make you feel good. I promise that's the last time we'll do that. Get in touch if we've ignored your favourite tracks at the Oblong Desk on Facebook or Twitter for that. And still to come, Noakes makes a comparison 
as you said, John, an interesting career, up and down, a bit like her chest size. I boast about an unrelated matter. It's our podcast, I'll do what I like. I have once got a hole in one at golf, so I've, I've completed that now, and I don't need to worry about that anymore. We pick through two Natalies, a Delta and a Holly, all in the noble quest to discover the ultimate pop neighbour here on Oblong Desk. Let's pick the mood up slightly, and indeed the musical quality up almost to the other end of that scale with our next artist. Uh, it is Natalie Imbruglia, Beth Brennan on the soap. Uh, she has a 10-year pop career starting in 1997 never made the top of the chart strangely enough although the amount that you hear torn and the amount it's gone into the psyche i think most people would be surprised that that wasn't a uh, a number one hit five top tens in total and 10 top 40 hits in her career yeah, she came out of nowhere, really, didn't she, with Torn, which, uh, as you say, not a number one hit, but stayed in the upper reaches of the chart for an incredibly long time, especially for uh, that era in the chart when things would disappear rapidly, go in at number seven, and then next week they'd be number 33 or something. Um, so Torn was a big seller. Um, big Mistake was the second single. I think that got to number two. Um, so she had a really strong start. Now, I recently got hold of uh, a load of CDs that someone was giving away. There were only a few that I really wanted, but I thought, oh, it's free CDs, I'll take them, because if nothing else, there might be some tracks I don't have. I can use them on my radio shows and what have you. And there was one, not one, but two copies of her debut album, Left of the Middle, in there. Um, practically identical, slightly different back cover, but exactly the same track listing. I don't know why. And I thought, well, I'm going to have a listen to all these albums. You know, it'd be rude not to. There was a lot of late 90s and early 2000s stuff in there. Not the best period of music, I would say. Um, but... Uh, I enjoyed her album more than most of the others. Let's just say that I never want to hear Rude Box by Robbie Williams ever again. If you want to hear lots of terrible rapping, that's your place to go to. Uh, Natalie and Brulia never did terrible rapping. Um, the best single off that first album is the last one that she released, and it's this. What's very different sound to our previous neighbours uh, Neighbours is such a kind of like happy soap it, even when bad things happen they happen in a amusing way uh, and, a, and a light way they don't do the depth of emotion and it was something that made Neighbours so popular, it was a little bit of sunshine in our lives at tea time and Natalie's sound is, is very very different it's serious singer-songwriter stuff I don't think she wrote them all by herself, did she? She certainly uh, had she, a songwriting you, team. No, she didn't write them all by herself. I mean, the one we just played, which is uh, Smoke, was uh, was one of her 
very, very finest songs, I think, a top five hit. Um, but she co-wrote everything on that debut album except for Torn, which famously was um, some Scandinavian production, wasn't it? And given to a was it a Norwegian singer or somebody quite scary, as I recall, when they uh, when they decided to dig out the original <clears throat> of that. But that's fair enough when you're launching a career um, to go for something that is uh, you know already on the shelf, so to speak. Um, but yeah, to co-write everything else on the album is pretty good. Um, the the album doesn't quite stack up now i would say you think of the late 90s and you think of a lot of um strong female singer songwriters um all saints um meredith brooks people like that who were around at the time maybe not you know for very long but uh, and there are occasions where she's trying too hard and over singing i mentioned big mistake the second single i don't think that works for me when she's doing the kind of hard rough stuff her voice isn't right for that but on smoke it almost sounds at times like she's about to burst into tears that sounds absolutely genuine um and really quite touching that song so when she does the more gentle stuff it's better yeah i would agree with you i mean i think smoke is a such a powerful piece of music and her her entire career was was songwriting about serious subjects and done in a very very poetic way so yeah a very different character from her from her neighbor's character i think it took some people by surprise didn't it they were expecting her to be sort of bouncing onto the stage yeah with pop happiness and here was it here was this gritty and as you say not always credible when she tried to rock it out but yeah that kind of Mm. the more folky and introspective stuff yeah a, a very interesting sound and unique amongst uh the neighbors that we're going to look at today in that she did go down that path stuck with it and it seemed to be a genuine thing there was no no sense that it was marketing her in that way and we think you should do this indie stuff because i don't think you can write with that level of commitment and as you say the singing on songs like Smoke and the one we're about to play. You can't fake that. Here's Shiver. It's Oblong Desk's Occasional Table. We are reviewing the musical output of The Neighbours from Ramsey Street today. And you just heard Shiver by Natalie Imbruglia. So that was actually off her third album. We talked about the first one. The second one was called White Lily's Island and wasn't really well received. It had three singles off it. I think the only one I even vaguely remember is the one called Wrong Impression. You may recall that. Got to top ten just. Um, But there was nothing stunning. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um third album counting down the days uh was a number one weirdly her only number one album you'd, you'd think that left of the middle would have been the number one album but it was a big seller but it only got to number five weirdly whereas counting down the days i seem to remember it did have quite a big push at the time i think they were really relaunching her and that was the launch single that we just played shiver a number eight song so a reasonable hit but like most of her stuff other than torn sadly all but forgotten these days it seems yeah, I can remember the first time I heard it, and I just thought, 
the chorus on it in particular, it has that simultaneous, real uplifting moment, but it's really down at the same time. I love being torn in two directions like that. Ironically, given that her first single was torn, I, I just really think there's something magical about when a song can do that to you. And I think that, yeah, she is overlooked. Well, I made sure it was on the Switch playlist when I was updating the 2000s songs, so I'm very proud to say that uh, I've at least got it on uh, our radio station, although it probably doesn't come around very often. But that's not a bad thing, is it, listener? You don't want to hear songs every day, the same ones, do you know? Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a shame as well that after this, that was it. So there was one more single, top 40 hit, but not a big one, title track off the album, and that was it. Bye-bye to uh, Natalie and Brilliant. I have no idea what she's doing now either. No, she does seem to have uh, vanished without trace. But then that's kind of like what you'd expect, you know, from your indie chicks. They, they have their careers and then they disappear off because they don't want the limelight. Right. That, that's kind of the end of our period of Neighbours, I would suggest. I yes, think it is. We'd gone off to do other things uh, and be busy at tea time mainly. Um, it's also the point at which Neighbours disappeared off BBC One and then uh, re-emerged on channel five where it still is to this day uh our next artists are um, less impressive very brief careers but there are a couple of standouts and uh, the first one we're gonna have a look at is delta goodrum who played nina tucker apparently um passed me by but she's a bit different because she's she's kind of country yeah, and this coincides with the period when I was on uh, a once fine radio station, may it rest in peace, Centre FM in Tamworth. Now, we played every single Delta Goodrum single when it came out to death. I'm quite familiar with these. Having said that, ironically, the one I remembered the intro of is the one that starts, Do You Remember? And actually, I didn't remember which one it was. Uh, Innocent Eyes is the answer, having checked it out. But yeah, she had several uh, top ten hits, five of them, in fact, in all. And uh, and they were all, yeah, quite pleasant. Uh, again, singer-songwritery, more piano-led songs, because she actually did play the piano. I seem to remember that was something to do with her character in Neighbours. I think they, they worked that into the storyline somehow. But we're going to play a bit of her first hit single, aren't we? We are. And uh, this is Lost Without You. Occasional table playing you Delta Godrum's Lost Without You. Uh, Nina Tucker, as you say, yes, yeah, she she did have that thing where, you know, like like um, Helen Daniels used to like painting and they worked that into the storylines as well. Yeah. Um, played the piano and they managed to weave that skill into some of the scenes for cheap television effect. There you go. Have a have a go at what you do anyway, love. What would you do if you were on a soap base? It's a bit, a bit of accounting. Oh, uh, well, no, and I don't think the audience would want to see that. Um, I'd probably be reeling off some chart facts. I'm not sure that's any more fascinating, but uh, that's more me, isn't it? Mm. Or commentating on Formula One or something. Yes, yes. I think I'd probably try and weave in some golf 
because <laughs> I play extraordinarily badly at golf. But I have once, listener, and I, I, I never get the chance to mention this anywhere else. I have once got a hole in one at golf. So I've, I've completed that now and I don't need to worry about that anymore. Uh, or the darts, actually. Do you remember when I got that 180? You were I was there. there. Yes, I, I witnessed that. that was, one solitary, yeah. my, one Magnificent yes, sporting it, it, it spectacle. It definitely happened. So, yeah. If you've got a skill and you can work it into your acting career, I just need the acting career now. I've got the skills, just need the acting career. Anyway, yeah, I, I think Delta, surprisingly good. I wasn't overly aware of her stuff. Uh, I was, it passed me by on whatever radio stations. I did recognize a couple of them, but this one is really, really good, I think. It's, it's powerful and it's got a really nice melody to it yeah it's a pretty decent pop song again vanished without trace all of her stuff really but uh, you could certainly hear this on certain radio stations now it would fit in fine um it was a sizable hit as i said five top 10 hits in all um and yet you never hear any of them i i think probably just because i remember playing it a lot i'd probably say innocent eyes is probably my favorite but lost without you is a good song as well um the only one i would not recommend is when uh, she started dating brian mc fadden from westlife and did a duet with him that was absolutely as terrible as you'd imagine it would be well it's the whole whitney and bobby brown thing all over again isn't it that that got a warner class time right you don't you don't want to i think be dating and working it workplace relationships just just no yeah just no don't do it on then on the occasional table to um an artist who was very different from our uh, previous two in her approach to marketing, shall we say. It's Holly Valance, and she played Flick Scully from 2002 to 2003. And this is very much about sex selling, wasn't it? Oh, sex, as Alan Partridge would say. Yes, very much so. There was, uh, there was no two ways about it here. She knew exactly what she wanted from her pop career. Probably didn't care that it lasted approximately what 18 months i think or thereabouts um and uh, of course the one everyone remembers uh, is her number one song kiss kiss which sounds like this very much cashing in kiss kiss on that um it was popular in eurovision as well wasn't it that sort of eastern european yes. slash arabic style was it a turkish singer sung it originally i think wasn't it yeah i think so uh, and there was a lot of that going on as i say certainly in the world of eurovision but it bled through into the mainstream market as well this was always going to be a hit not least because you know let's make no bones about it yes she was selling herself sexually but she had the body to do it yeah um her real name by the way holly vukadinovich so you can see why she changed it um to uh an item on on a bed um but uh, yeah it was all a bit kind of <laughs> it, it was it was all a, a bit kind of one note though wasn't it because kiss kiss is perfectly fine i think it was definitely a a, a turkish original 
was it a guy called Tarkan? Something like that, who had a hit with it over there. Um, so a bit like with uh, Natalie and Brulia, you know, there was an imported kind of first single. I doubt if, like Natalie and Brulia, she wrote any of the others she had hits with, though. But following Kiss Kiss with Down Boy and then Naughty Girl, you do kind of want to say, yes, we get the idea. And that's probably why um, she only had one more hit after that initial three. Yeah, I mean, they were all very much on the same kind of lines, weren't they? Hello, boys, and uh, and probably some girls as well. Yes, I, I dare say. I'm speculating. I mean, in, in terms of what they sound like, they're not great. The others, Down Boy is pretty uh, average stuff for the time, and uh, the others are even more forgettable. Sort of like Steph and Dennis, but, but way more credible, where, you know, the, the one hit will do. We get the idea. A brief career burned brightly and then disappeared forever and um you don't really even hear kiss kiss on the radio anymore in spite of the fact that it was a number one song even kiss don't play it and you you know there's an open goal (laughs) yes yeah but um hearts don't play heart by the pet shop boys either because it's not one of the pet shop boy songs that the housewives have decided they want to hear so you know it works both ways i guess magic do play it's a kind of magic well, that isn't a surprise. Just, just you know, to give them a, a small round of applause for at least doing that. But yeah, come on, Kiss. Play this a little bit every so often. Wouldn't hurt you. Um, now then, I've got to confess our next artist. I couldn't pick her out in a lineup. Uh, it's Izzy Hoyland was the character, played by Natalie Bassingthwaite. Her surname has way too many letters in it. It does, doesn't I mean, it? If you're going to spell Thwaite... Thwaite is T-H-W-A-I-G-H-T-E. I mean, you know, and and what, she's going to run out of space on forms. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's true. And also, um, which bit of Australia does she come from? Wigan or something? I mean, what what's with that northern name? That's weird. I know, I know. And you're probably going, but I don't remember Natalie Bassing Thwaite having a pop career. And that's because she is our only neighbour who was part of a band. Um, we're, we're not counting Craig McLaughlin and Check One Two as being a band, really. Uh, so, so she was the vocalist for uh, Rogue Traders, who had, as I'm sure you're aware, a rather large hit with this. So here it comes, the sound of drums. Here come the drums, here come the drums. Rogue Traders with Voodoo Childs here on Oblong Desk's Occasional Table as we review the output of uh, singers who were also in Neighbours. And uh, Natalie Bassingthwaite, with uh, all the letters in her surname, as we've discussed, was uh, a part of that. And that's a, that's a really good song, actually. I'm surprised that Elvis Costello let them use the bits of Pump It Up because he's a well-known uh, old misery but uh, obviously he decided to relent on this occasion and um, that song still sounds pretty fine I would say number three hit oh it's corking I absolutely loved it when it came out and mainly 
mainly it has to be said because the pump it up riff is a stormingly good piece of music and well done Elvis for doing it, but they use it in a really creative way. I think she sings it superbly. Um, it's really powerful and it, yeah, gets me going. I was an old man when this came out, and so young person's music should by rights be just a noise, but I thought this was fantastic. Um, the follow-up, less so, watching you. Um, can't can't say it was it was anything like as good, but, you know, one shining moment, a number three hit. That's the way of it these days, isn't it? You just have your, your one hit and then you disappear. Yes, off. that's right. Um, although uh, usually the, the form is to then appear with loads of different people, so you can be featuring or featured. Um, but people probably just saw her name and thought, haven't got enough letter set for that, so uh, you know, jog on, really. Um, but no, it's a, it's it's a it's a good song. Won't film a CD. <laughs> yeah, um, it's uh, it's 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 a good song, and um, it's it's held up pretty well. So uh, well done, Natalie. Not reading out your surname again. There are two more neighbours who have had pop careers. Well, I say careers have picked up microphones, have found themselves in studios by accidentally. Maybe they were doing the cleaning. Who can tell? Um, Stephanie McIntosh had a number 47 smash in 2007 with a song called Mistake. And Sam Clark, who had a number 39 hit, but only in Australia. <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about them. They're modern neighbours. We're old and we don't talk about modern times because that's that's way out of our league. We're we don't know who they are. No. I, I have a vague recollection that there was a Neighbours cast album where they all had a sing-song, but I can't find any record of this anywhere on the internet. I've just got this vague recollection of uh, the people who played Harold and Madge turning up on some, I don't know, Wogan or, or similar thing, doing a song, but perhaps they just felt like it perhaps there was no corresponding album that kind of thing used to happen back then uh there was definitely a coronation street mm, one because, i do remember harold yes i'm sure there was a song and i'm sure it was like a christmas number one effort but i can't find any record of it whatsoever so please if you're listening and you have heard of it and oh, god forbid you own it then please do get in touch we'll tell you the uh, ways to do that at the end won't we yes it's a sh- it's a shame isn't it actually that uh, old uh, Ian Smith, I think, is the That's actor's it, name. Yeah. It's a shame that because he used to sing in the in the series, doesn't he? Yeah, he used like to... church stuff. Yeah, he was very. He was a uh... baritone, wasn't he? I think quite <laughs> a deep voice. Yeah, and him and Madge used to occasionally have a, a little sing song in Neighbours. But yes, I think the idea of them having a credible pop career was even <laughs> beyond the wit of uh, of Mr. Waterman. I do think there's a missed opportunity, given her catchphrase, when everyone would say Maggie, she would go, don't call me Maggie. And surely there was a missed opportunity for a dance single or something that just sampled that endlessly. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not too late if you're listening and you're a music producer. There's a couple of other Neighbours-esque related things that we wanted to mention before we disappear off on this. And... Um Obviously, one of them is the Neighbours Wedding theme, which was a number three hit for Angry Anderson, uh, so well known um, uh, and completely bloodmongous at the time. <laughs> it's overblown Australian pop rock, and it's very silly. But Well, yeah. But, but yeah, we all had a tear in our eye on that day. I, I think it's got a sort of charm to it, I have to say. Uh, I mean, clearly he was probably doing it for a laugh as well, because he was a rocker, wasn't he? He was in a rock band... Now, I may be getting this completely wrong because I haven't researched this. It's off the top of my head. I think they were called Rose Tattoo. 
his band, who'd, who'd had a minor hit uh, in the UK and were huge in Australia. Um, but yeah, I think he obviously just felt like doing it for a bit of a laugh, really, and probably was was laughing his head off at all the royalties coming in, I dare say, because uh, it was a big hit. Um, yeah, I do, you, do you know what? I don't mind it. It was never going to be anything else, was it? Yeah. A good ballad with good memories. And I think, you know, it fitted the mood of the, uh, the neighbour's wedding with Scott looking about 10 years old and very scared. Uh, Kylie looking completely uncomfortable in a dress. And, uh, yes, a, a terrible dress. And uh, and mullet mungus all round it for was. the men. Yes. And as we mentioned, we started off the show with Kylie and, like a bad penny, following on in her footsteps every bit of her career, we felt we couldn't leave this without mentioning her sister, Danny Minogue, who was in a soap, the other one, Home and Away, uh, and played Emma Jackson in that. Uh, did you ever watch Home and Away? Um, I, I gave it a go. I was never keen, I have to say, so no, I wasn't a regular viewer. No, I remember there was a guy who used to go around calling people galars, your big galar, yeah, but I can't galar. remember anything else about it. Um, anyway, Danny Minogue, sister of Kylie, and she, as I said, was in the soap, then started to have a pop career. Uh, the UK public have never deemed it fit for her to have a number one single. I think that's entirely appropriate. She had made the top 10 nine times and the top 40 on 19 separate occasions. Uh, we're going to play a teensy bit of what is, for me anyway, her best work. And every day it's the same thing, different faces, no names, faces I've never been before. is Danny Minogue and I begin to wonder here on Oblong Desk's occasional table uh, as you said John an interesting career up and down a bit like her chest size and uh, sorry bad joke <laughs> and uh, certainly the early stuff was um, nothing short of abysmal you've got a particular least favourite from her output haven't you? Well yeah I mean we've already discussed uh, because there was that mysterious appearance on uh, Ruby Tracks that she yes. made when she was like the kind of cool one of the Minogues, if that's possible to believe. Briefly. Uh, but yeah, I bought, I'm ashamed to say, the Danny Minogue album. Don't, don't know why, mate. I mean, you know, I was I was young and impressionable at the time. Were you looking at uh, the but, pictures, mate? Not listening to the music? Uh, not, not, not really, no. I don't think. No. I, okay. I, I genuinely think I possibly thought that she had a kind of Janet Jackson-esque quality to her, which, you know, is baffling to me now. Uh, but, yeah, the, the, it's a song that I really, really played lots at the time on URN and other places as well uh, to myself in my, for my own pleasure. And I'm, I listen to it now and I go, what the hell was I thinking? And that's success, which is risible and badly sung and... Uh, yeah, Janet Jackson's possibly a bit a bit um, over-eggy, more, more Paula Abdul in terms of that sound. But, but it's not like that at all, actually. When you, it's just horrible pop, shouty and squawky, and with some horrible production behind it. And I'm really, really sorry that I ever <laughs> gave money to the Minogue cause. 
Although maybe me funding that earlier career did lead on to I Begin to Wonder, which I think is a cracking tune. It is, actually. Yeah, so you, with, with Kylie, you've got several eras. With Danny, you have broadly three. You've got the early 90s stuff, which, as we discussed, is pretty terrible. Although I, I kind of thought I Don't Want to Take This Pain was all right. That was the last single off the album, <laughs> number 40, with a bullet and uh, straight out again. Uh, I thought that one was passable. I mean, it wasn't brilliant, but it was okay. Um, and then you've got the late... Uh, 90s stuff when actually um, when Kylie was doing her indie stuff she was having bigger hits so All I Want to Do you probably remember was a huge hit big big top five hit for her and then she had a couple more off the back of that Disremembrance was always my favourite even though that's not a word It's, it's not a word Danny it's just somebody's made that up uh, I do wonder if someone did that for a joke, put it in front of her and said, there you go, sing that, and then they're all going in the control room while she uh, got her tonsils around that made-up word. Um, but then we, as you say, got to the uh, quality stuff in the early 2000s. I begin to wonder, there was that one she did with Reva, um, Who Do You Love Now? That was a good song. Um, yeah. Don't Want to Lose This Feeling. That was the one they mixed with Into the Groove, which which worked really well. And I begin to wonder, was the one they mixed with uh, Dead or Alive, wasn't it? You spin me around. There was a mix of the two. That was a really, really clever thing to do. I enjoyed that version even more than the one we just played. Yeah, but at least she gave us those uh, sprinkling of uh, 2000s dance hits that were... You know, pretty decent stuff, really, in a time where music was in a bit of kind of a doldrum state anyway. So uh, I guess uh, that tells you all you need to know, perhaps, about her career highs. But, uh, you know, reasonable. I'd say she did some half-decent stuff eventually. And there we go. We've we've covered off most of Australia's entire pop career output, certainly from the soaps that they've produced and sent over to us. And um, as you say, there's some some little gems in there. Uh, but what we're going to do just to round this off is to pick our ultimate Australian pop neighbour. So we're discounting Danny. I don't think she was ever in the running. And we're discounting Angry Anderson. I don't think he was any. So uh, there's a few to choose from. There's some very obvious choices. So, so, Overall, based on their, well, it can be based on whatever you like, I suppose, mate. Uh, are you going obvious or are you going to surprise us? Well, you know, the obvious one is Kylie, isn't it? I don't think there's anyone uh, listening to this who will probably honestly expect anyone other than Kylie. So, you know, I like to do something different. Um, if I was wanting someone to be a hired help, um, maybe to be my security, then, uh, well, it's got to be Stefan Dennis, hasn't it, really? But in terms of um, listening to stuff, I still... And I know there aren't many people who say this. I still enjoy listening to Jason's prime period Stock Aitken and Waterman singles. And no one stands up enough for the quality of those songs. Not necessarily the singing, but the tunes. And when he got them right, like with Too Many Broken Hearts and Every Day and The Couple We Played, I think he was a perfectly good pop singer. So I am going to go for Jason Donovan. I would have expected nothing less. And do you know what? Do you know what? I think we can. I think we can say Kylie's in a league of her own. It's a different level of things we're talking about with Kylie. So actually, my favourite song of all the ones we've played today 
isn't from her. Can you believe it? She's going to miss out twice. My ultimate pop neighbour is Natalie Imbruglia. I think the, the, those, those songs are so well put together, well sung, and just such a, an unexpected source of some real heart-wrenching pop slash indie that yeah for that surprise alone i'm going to say i would if if you asked me to just have one of these people and have their music i would sacrifice kylie and keep natalie brulia and i feel terrible doing that wow well i never expected that that is a surprise so uh sorry kylie but you know we love you really it's a sh- surely if if we're talking in kind of desert island discs terms kylie's your item that everybody gets she's the bible or whatever it is that they give to everybody so there you go that that solves that problem um, yeah you, you have it you have her for free and then yeah. and then one other yeah exactly yeah so yeah. that's that sort of and i think we've made good choices Certainly, Gail and Gillian were never in with the show. <laughs> and Holly Valance can go and cry into her shiny knee. Let's never speak of Gail and Gillian ever again. We will be speaking about other things, though, because we might be only a year old, but we're planning to, be, to have a few more birthdays along the way. And our second year will continue uh, with some more compilation albums. We're having a look at hits under the auspices of a brand new compiler, and uh, we will be investigating him in a couple of weeks' time. Meanwhile, though, if you'd like to get in touch with us and share your Australian soap memories, I'm sure you have some of them, then you can do so in the following ways. We are on Facebook and Twitter. We are there at the Oblong Desk. You can also contact us via our website, which is oblongdesk.podbean.com, where you can find every single desk that we've done this year and loads more information about us and it and how you can get involved as well you can also if you'd like buy an oblong desk apron to do your washing up with they do boomerangs that would be more appropriate for this edition wouldn't it really i suppose you could use it for a barbecue yes you could absolutely that that'll do as they say in australia fair dinkum to that and on that note i'm off to have a sanger that's enough australian now and um we'll speak to you on another oblong desk very soon oblong desks occasional table was written and presented and produced in birmingham and woking by noakes and john tyndall with original music by john like, share, follow and subscribe to our podcast at oblongdesk.podbean.com. Oblongdesk.